Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors read their articles or discuss them with ABR staff. My name's Georgina Arnott and I'm the Assistant Editor at ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version or $60 for print plus online. Hi podcast listeners, this is Rowan Heath, winner of the 2023 ABR Elizabeth Jolly Short Story Prize, here to let you know about the 2024 Jolly Prize. Winning the prize last year was a huge confidence boost for me and a great conversation starter with other writers. I've never felt more connected to the writing community or received so much feedback. I strongly encourage you to believe in your story and submit it. Now in its 14th year, the Jolly Prize, worth a total of $12,500, is for an original work of short fiction between 2,000 and 5,000 words written in English. Stories can be on any subject and in any style. ABR looks forward to receiving your entry before the prize closes on April 22nd. See the ABR website for details. This week, we're revisiting a Jolly Prize story from 2010. Kate Kennedy's realist story, Sleepers, placed second in the 2010 Jolly Prize. Kate Kennedy is an award-winning author of fiction, non-fiction and poetry, whose work has been widely published both in Australia and overseas. Sleepers was later included in her 2012 short story collection, Like a House on Fire, and can also be found on the ABR website. Sleepers is set in a small town where a new construction project at the town's level crossing is causing traffic delays and resentment among the locals, including protagonist Ray, who have all begun eyeing off the red gum sleepers that are being removed as part of the upgrade. Here is Kate Kennedy reading Sleepers. Sleepers by Kate Kennedy, read by Kate Kennedy. Ray was stuck in traffic, an unusual feeling in a town the size of his, inching forward through a detour round the railway crossing. He watched the orange text changing on the roadside electronic billboard in the lethargic kind of trance he'd felt himself lapsing into more and more recently. Track upgrade, he read. Delays expected. Detour ahead. He'd forgotten. They all had. Barreled up to the intersection into town as usual to find the contractors had been hard at it from 6am, just as they'd promised. A squadron of shining earth movers and excavators hacking away already. Thousands of dollars being spent every minute by whatever construction company had won the tender. Not anyone local. That's for sure. Ray might have had some contract work himself then. Up ahead, a guy in reflector sunnies, fluoro vest and hard hat was propped next to a stop slow sign. That's got to be the easiest money in the world, Ray's girlfriend Sharon had said to him once in the car as they waited at some roadworks. Ex-girlfriend. Having a dig at him, Ray had thought, because he'd done a stint himself on a road crew the summer before. Not always, he'd answered, knowing it wouldn't do any good, but weighing it anyway. Some motorists, they just get out of the car and king hit you, because they're sick of waiting. Two blokes that we run over deliberately, just holding signs like that. She'd given him a look. That'd be why you get the extra loading, is it? Danger money? I'll go ahead and laugh, Ray had said with a shrug, releasing the clutch. They'd been on their way to his sister's for a barbecue, he remembered, and looking at her, he'd suddenly felt the same deep dragging inertia he felt now. The sight of her there, holding a cling-wrapped pavlova in the passenger seat, mouth a sour twist, her pink blusher sparkling in a shaft of sunlight. 
something creeping over him like a slow anaesthetic. I've tried, she'd said a few months later when she told him they were splitting up, but it's all going downhill. I thought we were going good, he'd answered, hearing the whine in his voice, hating it. And now you're telling me you're moving out. She'd rolled her eyes like he was the thickest kid in the class. Not me, Ray, she said. You. You're the one moving out. Slow, the sign said. And then the flashing arrow for the detour, down past the boarded-up hotel and the old sail yards. Ray yawned. He'd be late, but everyone would be late today. Anyway, the manager was never at the back, at the warehouse where Ray worked three days a week, and lucky to have that. So what if he was late? How many nested imitation terracotta pots could the public want in one morning? He idled, watching the traffic, exhaust fumes shimmering in the dust raised by the labouring machines on the line, their battered metal teeth jerking and tugging at the railway tracks, trashing them. Slow, slow, stop. And then flip his turn. The road worker aimed his mirrored and shadowed gaze at Ray as he drove past and gave a wave that had been reduced to its bare minimum. A single, slow-motion finger lifted an acknowledgement that he was one man passing another man who was pretending to be doing a job of work, bored shitless and leaning on a one-word sign. Ray raised a finger off the wheel in response, glancing the expressionless face and looking away again. Didn't know him. Up ahead, he heard a splintering crack like ice as an excavator levered up one of the railway sleepers, the big engine surging to get purchase on the gravel. By late afternoon, when Ray was at the pub, there was already talk of the sleepers. They're pushing them into piles, Frank was saying, sorting them from shit to good, so they've got to be selling them on. See, if that contractor was a local, said Vince, anyone could go and help themselves to some of them for firewood, anyone at all. And not these bastards. They'll be selling them on to some other subcontractor. Any money. That's why they've got that barrier around them. They tender for these jobs and they screw the last cent out of them. That's the way they do business. And Frank, who hadn't worked for 14 months. Afterwards, when Ray drove Vince home down past the intersection, he saw the old sleepers piled high, big dark timbers, rooted up now and useless a string of flapping orange flags erected around them. Well, if that's the barrier, Ray said, it looks fairly token. Thing is, said Vince, pointing, people will be after those for landscaping. You wait. And I'll go back to the other spot they're working on, that old crossing out of town. But they're pulling all that up too. Mate, they're pulling up five k's of line. There's going to be millions of the things, tons of them. This company on Levinata's view disappearing. You wait. Ray nodded. He'd seen gardens himself, of course, edged with old red gum sleepers, which is the kind of thing Sharon had always been on his back to do, landscaping the gardening. Why do it, he'd argued, when we're just renting? Ray, she'd said, exhaling a breath of resigned frustration. He'd waited for an answer, but she'd only repeated it as she turned away. Ray, Ray, Ray. Almost tenderly. And him standing there stranded, never knowing what she was going to want next. Red gum, Vince was saying now. Beautiful. Burns like bloody briquettes. You watch this town. Winter coming on and a pile of scrap wood like that. A little string of orange flags isn't going to stop anyone. 
the sleepers, those perfectly good red gum sleepers, and a sudden professed desire to landscape. It was all Ray seemed to hear about over the next two weeks. Bernie at the warehouse told Ray with a kind of defiant righteousness that he'd grabbed a ute load late at night to finish off his pool area. Someone at the pub achieved fame by liberating 30 sleepers in broad daylight with two mates, avoiding suspicion by donning fluorescent vests to do the job. And that's fair enough, Bernie said, slapping price stickers onto a shipment of outdoor furniture. You can tell by the way those piles are graded that whoever's got the tender is just going to put a match to the crap ones. I guess, said Ray. Inside the opaque layers of shrink-wrapped plastic on the pallet, he could see stacked ornamental Buddha statues. It was like gazing into a submerged shipwreck, crammed full of calmly waiting monks. I reckon get in now and get what you need, said Bernie. Just do it discreetly and don't take the new replacement stacks. Don't get greedy. Ray lifted his knife and sliced through plastic, breathing in the chemical sealed breath of some factory floor in China. He thought of waking up that morning with an empty plate from last night still sitting on his chest, gently rising and falling, his hand keeping it steady in exactly the same position he was when he'd fallen asleep. A white plate round and innocuous as a moon. At Steve's barbecue that night, he walked up and down the brand-new paved barbecue area bordered by lines of sleepers. Set at intervals in the freshly shoveled topsoil were small clumps of perennials which reminded Ray somehow of a hair transplant. It looks great, he called, feeling Steve's eyes on him. There must have been something wrong with him, some bug he had. How else to explain that bottomed-out energy? the sapped, exhausted feeling as he watched Steve turning steaks on the grill. He'd go and have a check-up, a blood test. Yeah, it's a rustic border, Steve was saying, full of focus and purpose, pressing here and there on the meat with the tongs. That's going to grow in no time. Ray swatted a mosquito in the dusk, racking his brain for something to respond with. Nothing. We'll have a pool in here next, Steve added. Get rid of the lawn altogether. Just an outdoor entertainment area. You right there, Ray? Yeah, good. You want to grab yourself some coleslaw? Thanks. He hoisted himself up from the chair, putting down his warm beer. Another thing. These last couple of months he'd felt this heavy squeezing under his sternum, slowing him down. He shouldn't have worn shorts. He should cut down on the beer. He walked over to the trestle, feeling the eyes of women on him. Steve's wife, Sue, smiling over. Other wives and girlfriends raising their heads to glance at him, going back to their wine. Only single man there, he realised, feeling something speculative in their glances, something indulgent. He'd driven past Sharon's house tonight and seen a car in the drive he didn't recognise. He couldn't stop thinking about it. His brain was like a dog jerking at the end of its chain over and over, returning to it. So that'd be the thing to do, to get chatting to someone else, let word get back to Sharon that he was out there, available, a catch, on his feet. But even though he couldn't feel those eyes on him, Karen heard drive, that convulsive choke in his throat as he circled it again. He sat back down with his laden plate, on one of the sleepers instead, because the thought trying to get a conversation going with any of them felt like heavy lifting. And they knew all about him anyway. A 35-year-old man who lived in a colourbond shed at a mate's place, not exactly unemployed, but a part-time storeman. 
a liability, not a catch. Just temporary, he'd said, when he first moved into the shed, just till I find a place of my own. Back then he couldn't imagine spending winter in it, holed up there with the shed heater, the cold coming up through the cement floor. And how gradually it had happened, putting a piece of carpet down, buying the lounge suite at Vinnie's that time, putting up the TV aerial, telling himself he was saving money, finding his feet, waiting for things to go from shit to good. Hey, Ray, a voice was calling him. Steve's teenage son, Scott, Sam, something. Come and check this out, the boy said, beckoning Ray over to a big black telescope on a tripod, pointed straight up into the night sky. Not quite dark enough yet, Sean, Steve called from the grill, scooping meat and sausages up onto a platter. Wait till it's dark and I'll show you how to adjust it properly. Ray stooped and squinted through the lens. I think it's Mars, said Sean. The smell of him, grass and sunscreen, sweat and energy, all of it barely contained, registered in Ray's head with a sudden painful awareness. This shortness of breath, the pressure on his chest, he thought of his old man's heart attack, the way he'd staggered crabwise across the lounge room, his arm out, wordless. Taking five weeks to get a doctor's appointment anyway. He'd ring tomorrow. Is that focus now? Yeah, that's good, answered Ray. He could make out a blur, a jittery nebula, like a reflected car headlight. Then he blinked and saw something else there in the lens, something dilating, sweeping closed and open again. His own huge eye reflected. The lid creased, a maze of lines spreading like rivulets. Is it Mars? Sean said doubtfully. He had taken the boy out fishing one time, he remembered, with Steve, clowned around pretending to fight a carp he'd landed on the bank, casting all day that day into snags. He blinked again, saw the pouched skin around his eye, wrinkle like crumpled old paper, his own iris staring at him black as space. If he had a son now, he thought, he'd be 50 when the boy was 15. So probably all for the best then. He let out a breath that hurt like a stitch. Yep, that's Mars, he said. Turning the keys in the ignition in his car, he fought the impulse to go home via the house again check if that car was still there. Up his old street, the same streetlight broken, up to the driveway that he used to pull into every night, taking that normalcy for granted. His ute bumping up over the curb and the sensor light snapping on as Ray got out of the car in his loser shorts, running to flab, any fool could see that, and then Sharon's silhouette in the ridged glass of the front door, her and whoever was there with her. He saw her put both her hands up to the glass to peer through its distorting ripples at him. Don't worry, he heard her say, her voice muffled. It's just Ray. Seeing him for exactly what he was, he could hear that in her tone. Her right arm lifted and snapped off the sensor light impatiently, leaving him there in the dark, and the shapes of the two of them rippled and shifted as they stepped back from the door. Ray thinking he would never forget this one moment as their shadows swam together out of the light. He opened his eyes and saw he was still sitting in his ute outside Steve's place, 
his hands slack on the steering wheel. He tried to tally up the beers he'd had, tried to send a message down to the deep-sunk part of him, scudding along somewhere to kick-start itself again. He had an idea, a half-assed idea, he berated himself, a crap idea, to head over to the crossing and put down the tailgate and load in a few sleepers. Twelve, maybe. Enough to take around tomorrow to Sharon's place. His mind swerved over this bit, the dropping them unannounced on her front lawn, and went straight to the moment when he'd be lowering them squarely and surely into place between some solidly hammered pickets, and her surprised, gratified smile, lost for words for once, as he went away and came back with a load of topsoil from Jenna's and spaded it in. Her instant landscape garden, ready for some seedlings. He could manage loading them up himself, he was sure, if he raised one end first and pushed them onto the tray, or, or get a mate, get Vince to help him. He checked his watch, 12.40. Vince would be snoring in front of Rage by now, three bongs down. It was when Ray got down to the track and saw the motionless machinery there, the dark mountains of sleepers silhouetted, that he felt his original idea begin to melt and solidify into something else. Why should he do a damn thing for Sharon? Hang round her place like a whipped dog? Why shouldn't he score some for himself? Take them home? Cut them up with a chainsaw? Make a decent firewood stack? He imagined briefly the shed heater, radiant with cosy warmth, stoked with red gum, glowing all night. Or, and this was better, why shouldn't he keep some whole? Do some landscaping for himself, build up a couple of beds and plant some veggies out of the shed. Ray realised he was sitting at the crossing, sitting motionless again in the cabin and staring at the flattened earth where the railway track into town used to be, all of it scraped as bare as something strip-mined now. A plan dropped onto the town from above, not a single local employed. You could understand the ire, the harmless, face-saving looting of all this wood pushed into unwanted piles. And he was so tired of this, the way he kept finding himself hunched over, eyes closed like he was hibernating, the way he had to rouse himself to move. Ray stretched as he stood, his spine cracking. In the back he found himself a pair of gloves, let down the tailgate, and here came the moon, sailing out from behind a cloud, ready to help him. Sean, if he was still up, would be able to see every crater on that surface, it was so clear. Ray ducked under the orange flags and tugged at a sleeper, pushed and pulled it free, dragged it over to the ute and heaved it in with a grunt. Easy. Another one. Another. Had he need ten? Some people he knew had taken dozens of the things. It felt good, even though it was the middle of the night to be working up a sweat. Cold oxygen in his lungs, prickling like stars, clearing his fogged head finally. What could you grow in winter? Potatoes, maybe. Beans. Ray was considering the pile, wondering which peats to haul free next, when bright blue lights rolled across it. A lazy roll, rhythmic and silent. He'd been humming. He hadn't heard the cop car pull up. And as he turned, squinting in their sudden high beam, his chest squeezing, all that false warmth descending into his boots, he knew they wouldn't bother with their siren, because 
They could see it was just him. Just Ray. And they knew he'd turn around like this and take what was coming to him. Because they need an example, he thought wearily, as he peeled off his gloves, the realisation flaring like a little chunk of burning rock, a tiny meteor. What was the word? An escape goat? Nowhere to put the gloves. So Ray threw them onto the ute tray and missed. The cop's headlights casting big crooked shadows. He waited there for them next to the sleepers, lowering his bare hands for comfort onto a weathered, solid old red gum, hauled up and discarded, but with so much life in it still, it just broke your heart to see it go to waste. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review Podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.